because it's about us. So the whole idea behind it was um, it's honestly kind of personal um, because pretty much, I don't know, it, I, I was getting to a point, I think with a, a lot of uh, like the news and um, just the way that I like in TikTok and, and stuff like that, where, where the way that I was seeing things communicated about like the environment and where we were at and how things were looking. And then like watching Bo Burnham's inside on repeat, which is a little problematic, a problematic. Um, and, and a lot of the references like climate change and basically just like the dread and the helplessness around all of it um, was starting to get to me a bit. And so I decided, you know what, maybe, maybe, it would be almost therapeutic if I put some energy into um, doing something that's educational about it. Uh, and that gets some conversation going about different aspects of it, about like some really basic information that people might be missing in like day-to-day -day conversations or in their, in their understanding of like how the world works um, and, and how we impact it and how we impact each other and how honestly easy a lot of the fixes could be for a lot of these things. Um, and kind of uh, uh, changing their narrative from one that's doom and gloom and uh, transitioning to one that's a little bit more hopeful and, and, and like courageous, if that makes sense. So that's the idea here. And so this first like episode of like, not, not like the first episode, because there was already like two that were kind of basic, but this is kind of getting, getting more into the nitty gritty and, uh, the reasons for doing this in the first place. So, so yeah, like I was saying the, the, about like the reasoning behind doing this in the first place and stuff. Um, and like, so, and I only bring this up because Chelsea, my, my wife, for those who don't know who are listening, um, has been, um, she's, she's been engaging in one of her, her, uh, typical short term obsessions. Um, and I say that completely lovingly. Um, where she just kind of like really focuses in on something for like a week or a month and then drops it and then moves on to something else. And her current obsession is um, basically just Bo Burnham's inside and the soundtrack. And a lot of it revolves around like helplessness and the ocean at your door and, and uh, uh, who really cares because it's all over anyway. And the end of the world has already happened. And um, that's honestly like a perspective that I see a lot across social media and stuff or, or in comments um, of like, well, nothing we can do. The world is doomed. And so I'm kind of wondering, how do you normally see like information about environmental issues or climate change? Like how do you see it communicated or hear it communicated? I mean, for me, it comes from a variety of sources at this point. Like you get the, I think like I want to say like the mainstream information that's coming down the pipeline. So like you hear about Greta, you hear from the white house, you hear like all of these like internationally renowned sources who are like, ah, we have to do something right now. Oh my God. And I'm just sitting here like, okay. Like, especially when it's for me, I struggle a lot when it's what seems like the powers that be. Are complaining about it and i'm like senate congress presidents are all like the same like they're the same group and i'm just mm -hmm. sitting here like you have the power right now do something with it um yep. and like it's yeah. really easy to get frustrated there 
But like another aspect that I also take in a lot of because I feel like it's something that like I guess I see more of is just like the local posts too um, mm-hmm. from those in our local community who are being impacted by climate change, such as. Um, like stop pipeline three and things like that. But that's not something that's like on the main stage, even though it could be it's uh, I've focused a lot personally on pipeline uh, ever since uh, the North Dakota pipeline access. Yeah. All that went to hell and (laughs) stuff like that. Like that's where, that's where I like, I definitely started feeling helpless because I was just like, all of these people are just like, Canada's just able to come into Minnesota and be like, fuck your shit. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. And it's kind of like, how, how, how do I stop that? Can I stop it? Is it my place to stop it? I feel like it should be my place to stop it. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I feel like, I feel like too, there's so much like, um, there are so many things going on, uh, especially, and I know like this is kind of like a tired thing for people to say and stuff at this point because it's 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 August of 2021, but like 2020 and the first eight months of this year, and honestly, even before 2020, there's just so many things going on um, that that is like demanding our attention and saying like, we need you to do something about it. Um, and then like there's this ex- so, like there's this expectation that we're doing something about it but like without knowing how or given any resources and it, it gets to a point where it's just like there's so much going on that you're just like okay i get it the world sucks what am i supposed to do and it's just like we've got enough things going on we've got enough things to worry about you figure it out um because i'm my bandwidth is out like i'm shot well, we have lives to live. You know, we have jobs and families and hobbies and stuff. Meanwhile, you know, the group of people that are actually responsible for all these problems, that's supposed to be their lives. It's supposed to be their full-time job to fix these things, like politicians to fix these things mm-hmm. or CEOs who are you know, an employee of a company to correct the company's actions, you know, that's, it's literally, it is their jobs to do something about it. No, no one realistically has time to affect wide scale change other than, you know, some one-off chance of, you know, becoming some martyr or something. So if you had to think either one of you, if you had to think of like, uh, three adjectives for how you would describe the way that like information about the environment or climate change is communicated. Um, three words, three descriptive words. What would you pick? I think like three words that I see oftentimes are late. Like we're too late. We're already like at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, stalemate yeah it feels like a stalemate between like um the need for energy that like especially we in first world countries depend on like our need for that energy and like the stalemate between 
well, this is what we know how to use. We've already got it. Stop trying to change it. And well, we could do this, but we are still learning about it. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could definitely see stalemate being one. Um, Ignorance. Yeah. Laziness. Mm. And I think it's just being politicized too. Like, I think that's the biggest thing too, like recently with like the stalemates coming up is just because like we made climate change politics rather than being like something that is benefiting all of us or could be. Yes. And that is, that is definitely a tendency. Yeah. 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 Everything gets politicized now. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's interesting. So that's that's a great point to to bring up, and that's something that in a future episode, I definitely want to dive into kind of the history of like how that issue, um, how the issue of climate change became like politicized, and how that's actually a fairly recent thing, and how uh, as far as it being politicized is more of like an, it's not as true uh, as it as it feels and thinks, which is very interesting. Um, so so one of the things that I I have noticed is there's sort of like in general, if you want to talk about politicization and stuff and things, there's an echo chamber. And one of those echo chambers is in climate change. And that is the way that's communicated by people who are trying to do things about climate change. Yes, they're raising alarms. Um, But you look at book titles or article headlines. And when things are like, hey, uh, guess what? Like the uninhabitable earth. I think that was a book title that I saw the, the uninhabitable earth. And I'm like, now here's my question. If you're someone who's already curious or, or who's already like concerned about climate change or interested in climate change or something like that, maybe, yeah, yeah. You might pick it up and read it and it's, it's going to give you some answers, maybe give you some hope, probably give you a lot of dread. If you are someone who is on the fence or doesn't really know if it's real, doesn't really know if they find it concerning, are you going to pick up a book called The Uninhabitable Earth, or are you just going to go, eh, no, that sounds really doom and gloom? Silly and dramatic and like propaganda to you. Yeah, Whether I would definitely, my brain would kind of shut down. Like, I already have mm-hmm. a lot of shit going on in my like <laughs> panic disorder brain. That I, I'm not going to pick up something off of a shelf, like regardless of the topic. That just sounds like, guess what? Everything's ending. It's right. worthless. Like right. I don't have the capacity to pick up so, something that hurts my feelings. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. That hurts your feelings. Well, yeah, I feel like a lot of us, especially like our generation, like we're we're millennials, um, is is there's already enough of like this existential dread and like this persistent existential crisis like in our generation uh that anything that's like hey guess what here's more of it is a little turn offish like you don't really want to engage with it um and so what's really interesting here is how this actually connects to like human behavior and human psychology um because i i personally feel and i I know there's others out there who, who agree too that the issue of climate change the crisis of climate change has very little to do with science in terms of why people believe or don't believe or buy into it or don't buy into it or whatever, uh, and more to do with human psychology, which I know is science, but it's human psychology. And what I mean by that is fight or flight. So uh, we are very hardwired. Our brains are very hardwired for fight or flight or freeze. And um, 
we're very attuned to say a lion in the savannah, you know, some kind of physical in the moment, right in your face threat, which triggers like that adrenaline rush and the drop in your stomach and all those things that we feel is like anxiety, which is just a survival mechanism for, oh, I need to run right now from this problem. The problem is, is that in the 21st century, most of our problems are not things that we can physically fight or physically run away from. So that anxiety, uh, that stress, that depression, all, you know, all those types of things just sit in you and your body doesn't know how to deal with them. You can't punch climate change. You can't club it to death with a stick. You can't run away from it physically. It just, it's not going to happen. And another piece of it too, is our brains that we're humans are smart. Sure. But we have a very hard time understanding things that are too macro or too micro. Like you ask anybody, like, how big is the sun? They might be able to give you some numbers, but understanding really how big that is, probably not very much or the size of an atom or something like that. The other thing is we have super crappy attention spans. And so ultimately what this comes down to is our brain is separated into like what you could call the elephant and the writer. So the elephant is like our survival part of our brain and it's most of our brain. It's, it's the emotions. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, limbic system. It's the, it's the survival. And our writer is right up here up front in your forehead. And it's the logic part. It's the, it's the one that's like, Oh, I am a human being and I have agency and I can think logically and make good decisions and I can fight off my emotion. The truth is, is I need to file my taxes. Exactly. It, the truth is, is that the, the writer thinks that they're the main character, thinks that they're the one in charge, but they're trying to control an elephant. And if that elephant wants to overpower the writer, it's going to. And so a lot of our decisions and things are going to be based off emotion, which means that if we are going to find any chance for change, uh, we need to stop trying to appeal to the writer and we need to start trying to appeal to the elephant. Um. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense to you? Like appealing to appealing to the emotion. We need to stop trying to use numbers and logic to, to logic bomb other people into buying into something uh, and doing something in their lives to, to change. And we need to start appealing to each other's humanity and emotion. Yeah. I think once Mm. both are working together, that definitely helps more. I think especially when you're watching the news and stuff, it's like, I'm like, I feel like they do either or. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I'm either going to give you this really emotional story that'll have you crying before the commercial break. Or I'm going to give you this big logic dump about facts, numbers, this, that, and the other. And I feel like what ends up making more sense to us is something that we can feel and we can relate to. And have like that human connection with it. But we also do still need a little bit of like just a smidge of logic. Yeah. Yes. To like validate our feelings, I guess. Yes. Too. Yep. Yep. It's it's almost more of like less that the uh, data. It's, it's almost like the data is a support system. Yes. I guess for, for the emotions. Yeah. It's not a whole system, but it has support. Yeah. Support. Yeah. Beams. Kind of like, the way that I, yeah. So but. you combine them. So it's like we need a commercial of an emaciated polar bear 
on a small piece of ice floating away oh, with no. Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background. <laughs> and then at the end of the commercial, there's just like a slate that says by the year 2030, the ice caps will be completely melted. And yeah, then, yeah, good point. Bada bing, bada boom. Ouch, my it's feelings. And it sticks with nature. you, though. Yeah, right. but it sticks with you. Like, we're talking about it now. Whereas I could tell you that I definitely watched the news this week and I don't remember <laughs> anything that was said because it didn't it didn't tug at my heartstrings. It didn't give me something worth, worth remembering in my elephant brain. Right. Like, uh, it's it's kind of... It's kind of like, so one of the ways that I like to, I was thinking about it recently. So like in some of our older episodes, um, when we have like guests and things, right. Um, there's always a portion of the episode that's like the take home conservation method. So I went back and I listened to some of them. I don't think I found a single one of them that mentioned any, any like hard numbers or hard data about like why a certain species need to be needed to be protected or what people could do. It was all kind of just like this plea to someone's humanity and like the intrinsic value of maybe the animal or the ecosystem or something like that. And it was like an emotional argument more than anything. Um, and those are also the portions that people tend to comment on and, and say that like stick with them or, you know, get them to listen to more episodes and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, so the uh, so the data piece, you know, one of one of the ways that I think about it too is so I used to do I used to do wolf conservation stuff, and when I first started um, in trying to appeal to different stakeholders, um, I had a bunch of data, a bunch, and the data was super solid in support of my position. It didn't matter <laughs> to virtually anybody. Um, it didn't matter if I, if I gave the numbers until I was blue in the face, nobody cared about the numbers. What they cared about was what they've experienced personally, what they know that their neighbor felt or experienced, what they feel, what they think, what they, what they feel is their life truth and experience. And you're not getting through to somebody unless you appeal to that first, unless they know that you aren't some enemy from another tribe. And they know that you are just another person who is there to talk and there to listen, um, then, then you're going to get through to people. So that's important. One of the, actually, here's a, here's a weird example too. So smoking, I just think it speaks to it. Um, we've oh known for God. a very people long are time. So bad about people are so bad about arguing that. Well, like we've known for so long, right. That smoking causes cancer and other health issues, but people still smoke. It doesn't matter if like you run a thousand ads, like people know, they know the data, they know the science, they know like, yeah, this isn't good for me. Um, but they're using it like they smoke or something for a different need. Right. And the data is not going to convince them that that's not important. And they still don't get it. They're always yeah, it's associated like, with different smoking fuels. Like, right. Oh, 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 it does! Oh my gosh! Oh, I, I I didn't know! Oh, oh my God! Thank you, thank you for telling me. Oh. 
I mean, it's similar to like, I think it's how people are also going about their conversations now too, with their family and friends who aren't vaccinated. It's, I can yeah. give you all this statistical information as to why you should do that. The CDC has given it to you over and over and over again. But like, I've had friends who have told their parents are like, I'm not coming to visit you until you're vaccinated. Mm -hmm. uh, people who normally would not be getting a vaccine because they don't believe the science. They don't trust the numbers. They don't believe the data that's before them. Uh, but their family and friends are going for that emotional connection. Like, I want you to be safe. My kids mm -hmm. can't get vaccinated. I don't want to bring my kids around you unless I know you're safe. And it's playing to the emotional side that's actually like convincing people more so now at this point, like as far as right. we are in this vaccination process, like that's what's convincing people. It's no longer the data. The data has been out there for months. People mm -hmm. know what it says. They know what the CDC has said. I'm not able to convince anyone at this point to get a vaccine who hasn't unless I go for an emotional way because the data is out there. They have access mm -hmm. to it. They're choosing to ignore it. You know, and there's something too that 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 um, is oddly an emotional response to the data, but on the other side, which is the 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 group, and it's it's often in the political climate too, where they say those people who are not listening to the data and not getting the vaccine, it's because they're dumb. Yep, and that's some that's not the case, like especially amongst. Like, for instance, like the black community where they have been subjected to a lot of vaccine violence and mm -hmm. been like especially black women being the test subjects of health and like what we know for modern health. There is right. a legitimate reason to have fear there for them. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't discredit that. I can't discount that. I can't right. get past that point. And it's, it's interesting because it's like this anger response, like, oh, my God, I'm giving you the data. And I'm giving you these options and you're still not listening. How stupid do you have to be to not be listening to me? So that's like right there. That is being emotional yes. about the data, but on the other side. Yeah. And it's not, it's not bridging any gaps. It's no. not convincing anybody to join your side when you, when you go straight for the, well, I gave you the data and you didn't listen to it. So you're stupid and that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because again, the data, the data doesn't really do the job. It's, it's the other kind of communication that, that does the trick. Um, okay. So I, I, uh, I have a couple of other pieces here, um, that I think I'm going to, I'm going to like send this to y'all like the remaining little piece. Cause it's more of a, I could still get through a little bit. I, uh, oh, okay. my call time has been pushed back by 15 minutes. So, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah, if we want to go a little further, that's totally fine. Um, Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 so one of the arguments, so uh, I'm going to back up a couple, like on this end, I'm going to cut this out. There is a, I read this, this, um, it was in a book. It was this interview, um, George Marshall interviewed this psychologist. His name is Daniel Kahneman, who like specializes in the whole like elephant and rider. I think he calls it like system one and system two or something like that. And he, he constantly is like tweeting memes that are like system one and system two. It's funny. Um, and his, his whole thing was like, he was really negative about if we stood a chance against climate change and his three main reasons why were it lacks salience, um, meaning it's, it's too abstract. Uh, you also, you also have to accept too many short-term costs and people aren't super 
gung ho about like, oh yeah, let me spend a whole bunch of money that I don't know if I'm going to actually need to or not. Um, and the third reason is that it seems uncertain and contested. At least there's enough narrative out there suggesting that it is uncertain and contested that that's enough for people to not want to engage at all. So that first piece, that salience, I mean, what do you think? Uh, in terms of it being too abstract or not actually seeing any present day examples. I mean, think about um, outside this past week or really anything going on around the world. I mean, can you think of any examples that might, that might be kind of like demonstrating it? Yes. I think like, well, even now, like we know here in Minnesota that there are wildfires. We are Mm -hmm. very aware of it, but we're not doing anything about it. Like Minnesota has like where at least where I am, there has been like no ordinances to like turn off water uses and stuff because of the drought. It's everyone's still like it's not a wildfire here yet, even though I was literally driving <laughs> down a highway where there was a wildfire to the side of me and I was like, Oh, well shit. Um but we don't see the fire that's happening in Canada, therefore it's just smoky here. Like, we're not mm-hmm. seeing the damage. We're not seeing the toll. We can't. Like, is... sure, they'll show us a picture in the news, but I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the common thing, the common theme of the common man just really not having much they can do about it. You know, like, I can try to cut down on my water or something and, you know, make some small difference in some small indirect way, but otherwise what am I supposed to do? Go grab a bucket, look up where the fire is currently raging, go drive there like, and just wing it. <laughs> like I feel like, like with a lot of this stuff, it's really not that complicated. It's not complicated. It's not impossible. It's just an excuse uh, that's perpetuated. Like it, it's it's deflection of blame on a grand scale. That you know, if our governments and the major companies, you know, actually made real effort and not some effort that was honestly just half-assed, then we could see large-scale change. And, you know, not, not some, not some just sorry excuse, like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, 1% of our funds are don- donated to the World Wildlife Fund. Like, how about you, like, actually like stop stealing the local water supply or like stop Mm -hmm. dumping all your waste into this river or, you know, like, come on. Uh, It's funny that you bring that up because back to, I'm sorry, back to Bo Burnham's inside. He has that whole brand consultant skit and he's like, do you stand with wheat thins in the fight against Lyme disease? And it's like, what? (laughs) But, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a good satire on, what it really feels like sometimes uh, with some of like the corporate messages and things. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's not really an issue of, of salience or being too abstract. I mean, we definitely, I think, I think y'all are right. There's enough 
visual stuff. Like there's enough going on that we know of the problems. There's a large element of that of feeling helpless in what we can actually do about it or, or saying, well, it's not happening to me. It's just happening to somebody else. So yeah, it's a problem, but I mean, I'm okay. Um, which is concerning uh, in some ways, but ultimately here's my, here's my thing. My goal is that through these conversations um, that I'm going to give both of you a little bit more hope and sense of agency and that individually or communally that we do have actually a lot of power and a lot of things that we can do that require very little from us that can make huge, huge impacts. And in turn, people who are listening uh, help, help to give the same. So that second piece, the cost. I'm going to run through a couple of things really quick. Uh, cost, yes, there are a lot of upfront costs, but we had a guest in the past who had once said, an ounce of mitigation is worth a pound in restoration. And that stuck with me. I just thought it worked because, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, yes, there are going to be upfront costs, but any upfront costs are substantially less than any cost of trying to restore or repair any damage that happens in the future. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about in the future is how a lot of these things are actually going to increase standard of living, which actually does things like lower fertility rates and uh, increase women's education and um, contribute to uh, a leveling of population and resources and sustainability. Um, and I think we really need to shift the, the conversation and the narrative to like highlight what are the benefits and not the cost. Because the moment you hear cost, suddenly you just don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear how your money is being spent um, or how impossible it is. Uh, then there's that piece of uncertainty. You hear that. People say that. A lot of people who are like very gung-ho about talking about climate change talk specifically about the piece of, oh, so many people like don't, don't think it's happening and we need to convince people it's happening. That's not really what the data shows. And I know I said we don't really need to use data, but 73% of Americans surveyed believe in global warming. 62% understand that's caused by humans. And most gaps in, in that data or in any, in any and like responses are largely due to just misinformation, misinformation, uh, misinformation campaigns from, from companies, from political organizations, things like that. But those percentages are up drastically compared to like 20 years ago. So it's not an issue of like the majority of people being uncertain or not knowing, because in fact, they do like they do. So uh, that's where that's where. So like the whole focus of the series comes in is reframing the narrative. We are going to speak to the elephant. We're going to focus on shared beliefs. We're going to stay positive. We're going to focus on uh, empowering individuals and communities and um, really focusing on that, that community piece. Because uh, like you both mentioned at different times, um, we hear constant stuff from up top about the dangers and what needs to be done. Um, but nothing actually happens change on a local level, on a community scale, um, is already happening largely without federal intervention or mandates or global treaties or pacts or anything like that. Changes and big changes are happening on local levels all around the world. And if we can highlight those, if we can kind of raise them up a little bit and show how possible those things are, I think hopefully it will inspire people 
to look for those positive signs in their community and to encourage those as well. Um, which brings me to this climate guilt, which I think we're kind of familiar with. Um, focusing on the negative uh, about all the doom, what's going to happen in the 2020s, 2030s, 2040s. It's all, it's all important stuff. I don't think anyone would argue that like it's important to know it's important to know what's going to happen versus what's preventable and that some of the changes that are going to happen are irreversible or too late to interfere with, but that there's still hope for a large portion of them. Um, but it's just kind of like framing things that was depressing and it triggers a lot of guilt. And um, let me ask you this, when you feel guilty about something, what's your response usually? For me, when I feel copious amounts of guilt, I tend to curl up in a ball and hide. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I kind of have the shutdown response myself. Gets me into trouble. Do you ever like, what about like, uh, I don't know, do you ever have like food guilt? Or like yes. you eat something really unhealthy and then you're so like. So much. And like, I could, we could do a two hour long episode about. <laughs> food guilt and shame associated with eating. I don't but, experience food guilt anymore. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. He's tuning it out. Okay, so there's uh, two responses. There's freezing uh, and then there's just the plain apathy, apathy. toward it. Yep, yep. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely experienced that and like there are times where like I definitely know that I've experienced climate guilt. Like when I'm out, like I went to go hiking with my partner and we had to drive four hours to get to this state park that we were excited to go to. And I was like, we just drove four hours, four hours. in our car into this like hardly disturbed, beautiful mm -hmm. oasis of land that like, I'm going to go march around inside of and be like, oh, look at how neat is that? And then, like, the entire car ride home, I was just sitting there, I was like, you just drove four hours. What are you doing? I, I feel that 100%. And then, and then I think a lot of people, myself included, which is funny, because, like, I consider myself really aware of a lot of these things and everything. But, like, then I resort to doing, like, really minuscule stuff to try to make myself feel better about it. Yeah. You know, then I'm like, oh, I recycled this thing. That's great. Like, hey, I did it. Yeah. You yeah. give yourself a pat on the back as like your penance is happening for climate change. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. or even how like, so right now our electricity is through like a, uh, a trade program. So technically we're on wind source energy. Um, and so because we're, our house is on like renewable energy, then suddenly I am like, well, then, okay, I'll leave these lights on. Or yeah, I'll run the AC longer. Or yeah, I'll keep the TV on. Or yeah, I can. Or I'll do something else. Be like, well, it's okay. I'm using renewable at home. What? That doesn't discount. Like that doesn't just like remove any kind of any kind of guilt or responsibility. Like, what am I doing? I don't know. It happens. I don't know what else to do. Um. Yeah. So okay. So uh, solving the problem. How do we solve the problem? A journey of a thousand miles begins with a, sing a single step. I think we've all heard that a million times. I don't know where it comes from. I think it's some like ancient proverb of some sort, but uh, I don't know. Um, 
it comes down to this. Solving climate change is going to depend on courage of individuals and communities, not, not corporations, not governments. That will help, but it's going to come down to individuals. And, and we're, I want to talk about that at a later point where kind of that responsibility and blame kind of piece, because um, it's kind of like a double-edged issue. Uh, but it's also going to come down to creativity, human ingenuity, open-mindedness, and us just dropping that us versus them crap. Like, we got to stop that. That's getting in the way of so many different things. Um, and if you really just stop and like listen to what other people are saying, 90% of the time, a majority of people are just going to agree. It's only when you give it that buzzword or slap a label on it that suddenly it becomes a divisive issue. So you just got to drop that crap. And so well, People that's... don't like being yelled at. Oh, no. A lot of people these days just can't get through their heads is, mm-hmm. you know, by getting pissed off and yelling or insulting someone literally is the pinnacle of what you could do to turn them against whatever you're saying. Because literally, if even if they agree with you, they will not act on whatever you're trying to get them to do because they don't like you. And I, I don't understand what's so difficult about that concept. Like people will literally just spite you. Like you are actually worse if that is how you approach it, because all you're doing is enlisting an army of people against whatever you're fighting for. So just to just to wrap wrap things up for this conversation for now, I just think um, uh, what you just said kind of is exactly it's kind of the reason that I keep bringing up community, right? So these these divisions that we have in our our, our country, our culture, um, and around the world. Oh God, is that a wasp? They, what the they hell? They come down to community things, right? It's, it's like a, it's a, I'm a part of a tribe. I'm a part of a community who all believes this one thing or falls under this label. Right. So if you are going to make change, if you're going to, to see people's um, motivations and things change, you have to appeal to that, that innate need of humans, our biological need to be in a community, right? Because every time like, this is how people, this is how people think they, uh, they ask themselves, who am I? What's going on? What would someone like me do in this situation? Uh, well, who's like me? Well, my, my community is like me. So let's say it's a, a, let's just say liberal conservative conversation and a liberal person is shouting at a conservative person about climate change, or even if they're just bringing up something, but they bring up climate change, what's going to subconsciously or consciously happen in the conservative's head is how would someone like me or what would so-and-so say? Um, and that is how they're going to respond. To see change, to see a, a rebuilding of communities um, and those type of values, we need to start seeing each other as people. That's all it comes down to. Solving climate change, for better or worse, is going to require us first to start seeing each other as people with values and things that are important to them and truths. And that's it, which is weird and kind of unsettling, but uh, I think it's possible. 
Yeah, we all need each other. And we need each other in the very human way. Like, if we keep just discrediting each other and building this angst and animosity, we're going to continue to work against each other. Whereas if we can, like, reach out on a person-to-person basis Mm -hmm. and just show, like, the smallest amount of empathy, like, it might not even be full or complete understanding because there is that part of your brain that's twitching and being like, why is this person so stupid? Why don't they get the data? But, like... Mm -hmm. Still recognizing that they're a person. Still recognizing that, like, there is the potential for change and for learning and stuff like that. Like, I grew up in a very different world than I live in right now. Uh, My science, or no, my social studies class, while I was homeschooled, uh, discussed how uh, Jesus came to America and saved the Indians. And it was hella racist and terrible and awful and not at all what our history is. And it took a lot of people having a lot of very tough conversations with me for me to learn otherwise and to actually learn about like what kind of nonsense happened and like how much work we have to do. And I am so appreciative of those people who didn't just look at me and go, she's a cultist kill her or ignore her or <laughs> leave her on the side of the road. Um, but like how many times we have to time. teach you this lesson, old man. Oh. <laughs> yes. Just like that. Um, but there were people who had those conversations with me. I ended up taking a big focus in like native American studies in college, as well as just like what my passionate drive has been because there's a lot of work we got to do. And I'm grateful for people who are willing to sit down and like have those human conversations that go beyond just the, you are stupid. Why would you, why would you believe a book that's said any of this? Right. Like, because, because why, why would I believe that? It was what was given to me. It was the information that I was provided exactly. with. It was my data. Yeah. It, it wasn't data. Uh, but there's a lot of unlearning that has to come through empathy. It can't come through someone yelling statistics at my face. Unlearning through empathy, I think is the best, the best way to kind of like sum up the work that needs to be done is unlearning through empathy and, and learning through empathy too. Um, okay. To, to end things really quick, uh, we just need to thank the patron supporters. So I thought we could just alternate through the list really quick. Um, like, I'll read one, then Ricky, then Cordo, me, Ricky, Cordo, and just get through the list really fast. So, uh, uh, oh, heck yeah. All right. So, thank you again to our Patreon supporters, our, our folks who support us each month on patreon.com slash the wildlife. Gina Spadafori, Karen Bangston, Cody Mathis, the folks over at the Mad Scientist Pod, Rosie Bailey, Charlie Rodriguez. Charlene Irvin Brown. Kim Droplet. Dro- or, sorry, Drollet. Sorry. Sorry, Kim. <laughs> Kim Car- Drollet. There we go. Ah, damn it. We interrupted each other. Clip it, Devin. Karen Kim Bergman. Drollet. Oh, no. I'm it's, done. It's Kim? okay. I'll just cut the... It's, it's all on separate audio streams, though. If I just got one out, it's not a big deal. Perfect. Okay. Zach Stednick. Vikram... Balagia? It's Vikram Baliga. 
Vigram Baliga. Angela Seibert. Bridget Fitzgerald. Megan McNeil. Matt Capel. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Thank you. Okay.